You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Last Sunday we looked at Matthew's genealogy. Not exactly a scintillating text, but uh, an important uh, part of the Christmas story. We really learned about the roots of Christmas. And today, we're going to look at the Annunciation event, uh, that, that moment when the angel Gabriel, sent from God, uh, comes to the Virgin Mary and announces to her what is about to happen to her. And in Mary, we're going to see the faith of Christmas, and that's, that's sort of our theme today, the faith of Christmas. So, if, would you please open your Bibles and, uh, or your bulletins, and uh, if you're able, stand uh, with me as I read God's Word. We stand here at New Life for this because it's a biblical sign of respect, um, and it's a respect for God. He's the, he's the speaker, right? I'm, the, I'm just the reader. He's the speaker. Luke 1, 26 to 38, that's our text. This is God's word. In the sixth month, I'll stop there. He's referencing the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, right? The mother of John the Baptist. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we look at a very real and a natural Mary in a very real and supernatural context, we pray that that you would show us what you would have us learn and apply in our lives, uh, not just for our good, but more importantly, for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, because of the influence of... uh, of art and Christmas cards and stained glass, 
the Virgin Mary uh, to me and maybe to, to some of you uh, seems often kind of uh, uh, frozen, right? Sort of a frozen, two-dimensional, haloed, sentimentalized, romanticized figure. Uh, but she is a real person, right? A real young woman in real life facing real challenges. And that comes through in the Christmas account, um, the, the biblical account of the first Christmas, as it's recorded both by Matthew and Luke. You, you know, you read, you read those accounts in the Bible of the first Christmas, and, and one of the things you quickly discover is that there's a mismatch between uh, our Christmas cards and what the Bible is saying. There's a mismatch between a lot of the songs you hear on the radio, um, like it's a marshmallow world. I know, I, every year I go after that song. I don't know what it means. I think it's silly. It isn't a marshmallow world. Right? Ask Mary, right? The, the, the biblical account of Christmas is not a sentimental journey uh, into, you know, away from reality and into a Thomas Kincaid painting. It just isn't. Uh, it is a deep dive into life and reality in all of its messiness and suffering and mystery and risk. Right? There's a lot of it here. Uh, you know, Mary gets this uh, announcement uh, from Gabriel that she's going to conceive and bear a son. And she's instructed to give him a name. That's interesting. That's telling too, right? That, that really taken from her is one of the, the primary prerogatives of a parent. And that's to bestow a name on your child. She doesn't have that prerogative in her position. Uh, and given who this baby is, she's instructed to give him uh, a name. And that name is Jesus. In Hebrew, that, it's Yeshua. And Yeshua is a compound name, which literally means uh, Yahweh saves. Yahweh being the, the personal uh, name of God. So, you know, it, that was Jesus' name, Yahweh saves. So in that, you know, the name given to him, uh, even before he's born, we get a hint of his mission, don't we? It's to save his people. He's, he's come to save people. Uh, and, and then we see from the other descriptors that Gabriel used, descriptors like great. Uh, great was used for John the Baptist, but John the Baptist is great before the Lord. Uh, this here with Jesus is just great uh, because he is the Lord, right? He, great son of the most high, the one who sits on David's throne forever, the king whose reign will never come to an end. Um, you know, it's clear from these descriptors that uh, the savior is going to be divine. There's the, the, those are all div- descriptors and names of, of the divine. Uh, which And we ought to just stop right there because that really is a great reminder of where our um, functional trust for everyday life needs to be, right? Um, C.S. Lewis talked about the, the sweet poison of false infinites. The sweet poison of false infinites, right? The United States is not going to last forever. Your money will not last forever. Your career 
will not last forever. Your family and your friends will not last forever. Your health will not last forever. Your beauty will not last forever. Those are all good things, but they're false infinites. And they're very easy to go to because they're sweet poison. Poison in the, it, it, to the extent we try to build our lives on those false infinites. They won't work. They won't support you. Only Jesus is forever. Only his kingdom uh, will last, right? His kingdom is going to be the only thing standing when nothing else is standing. Uh, so where does it make sense, right, for you and me as, as people in this world, looking at this world, looking at, at it, it, you know, it seemingly spinning out of control, where do you anchor your life? Right? In a false infinite? In something that is moving, shaking, going away? No. We do it in Jesus. We anchor our souls, our lives, our fortunes onto Jesus. Right? He's not just a holy man. He's the holy God. He has a fully human nature from his mother Mary. He has a fully divine nature from the Holy Spirit who... Uh, right in a way we don't understand, conceived an already existing Jesus and implanted him into the womb of Mary. A lot of mystery there, but that's what that's. I mean, that's what we have confessed for centuries, right? Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus. Uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. So he's the one to trust. He's the one who will always be there. He's the one who will not let you down. He's God. Well, as the only Savior, that means that every believer in, you know, before Mary, right? Old Testament believer. Every Old Testament believer was saved by Jesus. He's the only Savior, even though they didn't know him by name. Their knowledge of him was was limited. Uh, we have much greater knowledge uh, than they did. But nevertheless, they were trusting in Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. They knew they were trusting in a Messiah that God had promised would come. And they knew because God had promised it, uh, that he was going to come. So, so in that sense, right, as the New Testament opens here with the first Christmas, uh, Mary stands in a long line of, of, of Jesus' believers. Um, she, uh, but in another way, you could say that she is the first Christian. Right? Because as over against all the people that came before her, right? This long waited for Messiah that they were trusting in, Jesus now finally comes. She's the vehicle by which he comes. She was the first person in history to, as his birth mother, right? To receive, to accept, and to trust in Jesus by name and on his terms. So, since Mary is in that way, uh, it, the, the first Christian, 
she's kind of a paradigm believer for us, right? How God interacts with her, how she responds to God is instructive for you and me. It's like she, she almost lays out sort of the protocol, the pattern for uh, all believers in Jesus to follow. So what do we learn from Mary? Uh, five things. It's a five-point sermon, but I'm going to move through them quickly. Last first service, I said that someone yelled out a big amen. To the, to I'm going to be, I'm going to move through those quickly, but I will. Um, smart Alec. Um, first thing we learn: number one, to quote Dorothy Sayers, no one is too unimportant to be the Lord's friend. No one is too unimportant to be the Lord's friend. That's good news, right? Get it out of your head, if it's there, that there was something in Mary that qualified her for this divine assignment, because there was not. Uh, Mary had no particular markers, either spiritually or culturally, that she was qualified or had somehow earned uh, this uh, honor uh, to be the bearer of the Son of God. She was not wealthy, right? She was, uh, in fact, we know she was among the poor. Uh, Mary was not well known. She was an anonymous young uh, woman. She came from a nowhere town. I mean, a real nowhere town. Nazareth was so nowhere that it is one of the few key places in the New Testament that gets zero mention in the Old Testament. No mention of Nazareth in the Old Testament at all. Um, it, she was, uh, she grew up and lived far from the halls of power, far from uh, places of influence like Jerusalem or Rome. Um, She certainly had no power or influence. Uh, She was a a woman in a male-dominated society. She was likely a young woman. She was most certainly illiterate. Uh, And most importantly, and, and this is where I think a lot of us get it wrong, she was no less sinful than you are. Uh, she really didn't have a halo. Um, I know, every time you see her, she's got this gold thing around her head. It's not, uh, she, she didn't, right? She needed the grace of God every bit as much as you do. And I know that from the way Gabriel breaks in on her, right? You would, if, if it was that Mary was so spiritual and so... Um, holy and so sinless, he would have said it. Greetings, Mary. Ma'am, the Lord has been looking far and wide and ma'am, we saw you and you are so good and you're so spiritual and you're so religious and you're so, right, that we've chosen you and, and, and you're going to get a reward for that and your reward is that you get to you know, be the bearer of the Son of God. He didn't say that, did he? His whole message was about grace, right? Hail, right? Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, right? That's the, the famous hail, Mary, full of grace, which is a, a mistranslation. It, it's greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Literally, if you really want to translate that literally, it's like grace, O you who have received grace, the Lord is with you. 
I mean, Gabriel is not, he's making it very clear that she, he's there talking to Mary because it's grace. That's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. Which is exactly what we get. It's all we can get from God. If we're waiting around for merit from God, we'll be waiting uh, a long time. Um, no one is too unimportant to be the Lord's friend. No one has sinned his way out of the reach of the remarkable grace of God. Okay, That's number one. Number two, the divine human relationship, right, always starts like a game of hide and seek where Jesus is it. Right? You're it. Yeah, and hide and seek, that means you're the seeker. And that is right. Jesus is the seeker and we're the hiders. You know, it's... it's, it's interesting to note here that Mary uh, wasn't looking for God, right? God was looking for her and whom God looks for, he finds. Mary was not looking for favor. The word for that is grace, same word. Mary was not looking for favor, grace, but she found it anyway because Jesus found her. Verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You wonder if she thought, I wasn't looking for favor with God. But there it was. She found it because God found her. One of the hallmark symptoms of sin is that we hide from God. Go back to the the account of, of sin entering the world through that rebellion of our first parents. And what's the first, one of the first things that happens when they sin? They hide, right? They hide, from, they hide from each other and they hide from God. Put on fig leaves and jump into the bushes right when God comes around. Um, and and um, that's what sin does. It makes us push back against God, hide from God. Um, so it's, you know, this, I think this account compels us to ask, compels you to ask the question, are you still hiding from God? Um, this is a season to ask yourself that question. And I, I would say, maybe I should say, are you still trying to hide from God? We really, we can't. Um, some people try to hide through their rejection of God, through their rejection of religion, right? Just ridicule it, ignore it. Don't participate in it. Uh, make it irrelevant to your life. Uh, as if that will hide you from God. No, it doesn't. Other people get more sophisticated and actually try to hide from God using religion. Um, Flannery O'Connor, the late great Roman Catholic writer from the South, in her first novel described a character this way. She she got it. Here's her description. There was already a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. And the world is full of people like that, right? A lot of my friends who aren't Christians are those people. They're avoiding Jesus by trying to avoid sin, right? And so what they say to me is, well, you're telling me Jesus is a savior. I don't need a savior, 
Right? I'm good enough. Right? Look at all I do. That's hiding from God. That's using religion or good works to, to hide from God. You can't do it. You can't avoid Jesus by your religion or your rejection of religion. He will find you. Just like he found Mary. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Third thing we learn. Being found by Jesus entails new creation. Right? This, this you know, doing a transaction, uh, you know, engaging interpersonally with the risen and living Lord Jesus is not just, you know... there's more than just a normal relationship going along here. There's more than just intellectual assent to what Jesus is saying. Um, There's new creation happening. Now, you can see that clearly with Mary, right? Super clearly. She she asks, how how, is this going to happen? How how am I going to conceive and bear a son when I'm a virgin? And Gabriel explains in verse 35... Uh, gently explains the, the the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the holy and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, that language that Gabriel uses there evokes the image that that Mary would have been familiar with of the Holy Spirit at creation in Genesis one. Right in the on the opening page of the Bible, when when God is creating the world, we're entered, we're very quickly introduced to the Holy Spirit. And what what is He doing? He's overshadowing the darkness. He's overshadowing. He's hovering over the face of the deep, the darkness, the deep, the chaos uh, of 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 uh, you know the the not yet fully created wor- world. And the Holy Spirit brings order out of the chaos. He brings life uh, out of uh, non-life. He brings light out of darkness. Um, and, and, and now Gabriel is saying to Mary, something like that's going to happen to you. Right? Just like the Holy Spirit overshadowed the, the chaos uh, in creation and brought life out of non-life. So the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. The Holy Spirit is going to hover over the darkness and the non-life in your womb and, and, uh, and life is going to come. Right? In, in, a, in a remarkable, miraculous way. Right? The Holy Spirit is going to plant the pre-existing Jesus into her womb. Um, there's an analog to our experience here too. I mean, obviously, we're not going to. What happened to Mary is not going to happen to us. That's a once, uh, one and done kind of thing, right? But, but when, when Jesus finds you. Uh, not only do you th- then come to faith, but and, and not only do you have the ability to confess the Lord as, confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And by the way, the Bible says you won't do that unless the Holy Spirit is in you, right? Uh, 
you're, you, you are doing that because not only has the Holy Spirit come upon you, but the Holy Spirit has done an act of new creation, right? Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? You need to be what? Born again, right? You, you need to be newly created. And that's remarkable. He has spoken to one of the most religious good men of Jesus' culture. And Jesus is in effect saying, all your goodness, all your religion, all your law keeping, that's, you know, that's great, but it doesn't count for anything. You've got to start over. Right? You have to be born again. This mystified Nicodemus. But there it is. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. If you're a Christian here today, there there has been in you, maybe you didn't notice it and you didn't feel it, uh, but but you have been newly created. You've been newly born. Um, You know, we all need a fresh start. Uh, And there are times in life, right, where you acutely sense, man, if only I could start over. Um, If I could only do it again. Um, You know, born again. And Jesus coming, the Holy Spirit coming into you and, and, and rebirthing you spiritually is the ultimate fresh start. Become a brand new person. You become a dwelling place for Jesus. Differently, but just as literally as Mary was a dwelling place for the preborn Jesus. Right? And we're different. We're different. Some of you uh, uh, read the, the uh, book titled Unbroken. Remember that book? Uh, maybe some of you saw the movie. movie. It was a good movie, but it wasn't nearly as good as the book. They never are. Uh, and it wasn't as good mostly because of the spiritual content, right? Uh, Unbroken is about Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was an American Olympic athlete who was, uh, went into World War II and, and endured years of torture and trauma in the Pacific theater uh, of World War II, uh, many years in a concentration camp, enduring unspeakably cruel torture. Um, And he somehow survived it all. And when the camp was liberated in 1945, uh, came back to the United States, uh, a war hero, but eaten alive and being eaten alive by by hatred by this uh, consuming desire uh, for revenge, uh, by violent fantasies about what he wanted to do with the people who who so hurt him, Um, uh, recurring awful nightmares, uh, all of which he tried to numb with alcohol, which then caused him to, uh, led him to abusing his wife and neglecting his daughter. And then finally, uh, Jesus finds this reluctant, messed up man at a, at a Billy Graham meeting. He went um, reluctantly dragging his feet at the invitation of his wife. And, um, and Jesus found him. 
And the nightmare stopped. And the remarkable thing, the most remarkable thing is that the, the revenge and the hatred turned to love. Um, and four years later, it was 49, I think, 1949, uh, Zamperini returned to Japan uh, with, one, with one mission, and that was to go to the prisons where those Japanese soldiers were now prisoners of war um, uh, after the war, right? And, and he met with them face-to-face, forgave each one, um, professed his love for them, professed Jesus' love for them, told them the gospel, you know, witnessed to the, to the reality of Jesus and t- preached the gospel to them. As a result, some of those Japanese soldiers came to faith uh, in Christ, right? Who does that? <laughs> right? Who's, who has that, 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 that revenge and hatred become love that is real love. I mean, love that, that he, he works out in terms of forgiveness and, and, and handshakes and hugs and, and loving on his torturers. Who does that? Not the old Louis Zamperini. He'd have never done that in a million years. But the new Louis Zamperini did it in four. Right? Because he was a new creation. And so are you, Christian new creation and some of you who aren't Christians you need to be born again fourth thing fourth thing that we learned from Mary and this is an important one finding favor with God does not mean finding favorable life circumstances I've been ringing that bell a lot lately haven't I Um, but it's so important, and, and, I, and I keep having to hit on it. One, it's in the Bible. Two, we keep forgetting it. I, I think maybe it's because we're Americans and, we, and we're in a capitalist system where we are used to you know, working hard, proving our merit, and getting rewarded for it. Uh, and so if, you know, if we're working hard at our relationship with Jesus, we, there, there is almost a, an unconscious sort of knee-jerk Response that says, well, then God ought to be rewarding me. And that reward ought to look like, you know, a good life, a favorable life, a life uh, free uh, from suffering. Uh, But that's not the case, is it? It just isn't. I think it's also influenced by the horrible heresy of the prosperity gospel. Which, which keeps pounding into people's head that God, you know, God wants you to be prosperous and happy and non-suffering right now. It just, it's just 180 degrees off of what the Bible says and what the Bible record is, right? I mean, look, at, we've got husbands and wives here dying of various diseases. We've got irreconcilable differences multiplying between family members and friends uh, putting us putting stress on families and stress on friendships we we have um, some of you have adult children who have made the choice to uh, walk away from faith in Jesus uh, we have 
Some people here making sinful choices. We have people here who have children making sinful choices that are going to be really hard to recover from. I mean, they're the kinds of choices that, that make a mark, you know, that would leave scars that you just don't see any human way back from. We have people losing their jobs because of their religious convictions. We have people losing their jobs because of uh, impersonal forces like the weather, uh, the supply chain. Over 80 people dead in the South today, two weeks before Christmas. We have people suffering loss of income, uh, and as a result, their homes are, are and the lives that they've built in those homes are are being threatened. Right now, we have people who want to be married but aren't. We have people who are married who don't want to be. We have people who want to have children but can't have children. You know, when I read this account, on at, at first you go, you know, this sounds like good news. Right? Um, it's... Gabriel is coming to Mary, kind of like the, the, the angels came to the shepherds, and it's sort of like, I've got good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, right? Mary, you're going to give birth to, this, to the Savior of the world, the, the, the King that will reign forever. And, but if that's the case, then why is she troubled and afraid? Right? Because she knew that what God was bringing her into what God was calling her to do uh, would not be great joy for her. Would in fact involve hardship and would involve suffering for her. It says she was greatly troubled at the greeting and was, and was trying hard to figure it out. The, the Greek word there is strength. She was, she was really noodling it out. And you know what she's doing. I mean, her mind's racing, Right? I'm a virgin, I'm going to have a son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, nobody's going to believe that, right? I'm going to lose my fiancé, Joseph, I mean, it's almost a certainty that he's going to walk away. And, and had it been up to Joseph, he would have, had not God intervened, Right? Uh, she knew that in her culture, being uh, the, the bearer of what everybody thought was an illegitimate son would make her unmarriable for the rest of her life. So she's thinking, I'm going to lose Joseph and basically I'm, I'm, uh, I'm never going to be able to get married again. Um, the, um, you know, just pregnancy itself was a dangerous thing. And, you know, I'm sure couples thought about it before they, you know, before that happened. But here she is and she's not thought about it. It's just going to happen. And, you know, pregnancy back then frequently led to the death of the mother. It's a risk, big risk. Certainly involved pain. No, no, no meds, no anesthetics. And, and... You know, what would have been most stressful for me, perhaps, are all the unknowns, right? I'm, I, I've confessed to you before, right? I'm the king of the unknowns, right? I can think of a million unknowns and worry about them. Right? 
How do you parent God? You wonder if she thought of that, you know. How do I raise the Son of God? How does that happen? Where's the manual for that? Um, She probably knew in general how society was going to respond. And by the way, society did respond exactly as as she feared. Uh, She was uh, basically painted with the brush of, of, you know, the scarlet letter of being an adulteress her whole life. We know, we know that because it stuck to Jesus. Jesus for his whole adult life up until his execution was, was considered a bastard and was criticized by the religious authorities for that. He was an illegitimate, as far as they were concerned, an illegitimate child. Um, so she knew how society w- would react, and it did. She, but what about you know, her family? What about my parents? Right? We know nothing about her parents. We know nothing about the grandparents of Jesus. But, but you know, what would they do? Would they kick her out of the house? What, what would she do for money? Um, you know, all these unknowns, right? And she didn't even know yet that the, this mission uh, that Jesus was on uh, was going to be, before he reigned on that throne, he had to die first. She didn't know that yet. She, she would learn it. Uh, and she would see her son executed on a Roman cross. Um, we just finished First Peter. We did First Peter for a reason, right? First Peter is all about suffering. And there's a lot of suffering today. And, and if, there, if we learned one thing in First Peter is that suffering is a normal, uh, unavoidable, expected part of living the Christian life. In fact, it is, you know, as we, as we saw in the last sermon, um, uh, Peter has that phrase about those, those of you who are suffering according to the will of God. Right? It's God's will that we suffer. It's like his son suffered. See, trusting your life to Jesus is more like going to the draft board rather than going to some, you know, peaceful uh, spiritual retreat. In a world that's characterized by the rejection of the God of the Bible, in a world that, that is marked by uh, rebellion against the God of the Bible, you know, not really wanting to have him involved in anything, uh, if you stand with that God, if you take on the name of Jesus, if you follow Jesus by faith, uh, then you, who, and, you know, and you're following a suffering savior, savior, then you also are going to suffer. Jesus promised us that we would. So finding favor with God does not mean finding favorable life circumstances. In fact, often it means just the opposite. So how do you deal with that? Man, that's a tough message. How do you deal with it? Well, that gets us to our fifth and final point. Um, we deal with it like Mary did, right? And, and we deal with it by faith. God initiates, we respond, and the required response, our required response, is faith. Mary initially responded with you know, being troubled, worried, 
fearful, but she didn't surrender to her fear. She surrendered to God. Verse 8, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is a statement of trusting surrender. Which is just another way of saying that's a statement of faith. Surrendering to what God has decreed. Surrendering to God's plan for her life. And trusting him to accomplish it. She sees herself rightly, right? I'm a servant of the Lord. And so, man, in our culture, even in, 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 in the Western evangelical subculture, we often treat God as if he's our servant. We are his servants. He's the master. And then she takes her fears. She takes all the unknowns and all the mystery and all the risk. And she says yes to God. God, she, she just trusts that God is somehow, she doesn't know how, somehow God is going to accomplish what he promised. And, and notice what he, he, God was promising to her. It's not just the birth, um, or the conception and the birth. It's, it's, it's really what the birth is all about, right? It's, he, he, the, she's giving birth to a king. Right? A savior king who's going to establish a forever kingdom. So what she was being promised, that this is the, this is the start of, of, the, of God's eternal kingdom. You're giving birth to the king. It, that, that is still future for us. Right? God is still promising that to us. What Jesus tells us to pray for every day. That God will finally establish his worldwide kingdom here, right here on planet earth. kingdom that will last forever, only one that ever will, uh, under the reign of the king who lasts forever, uh, Jesus Christ. That's what the promise is about. She's she's trusting that God's going to do that and and he's somehow going to use her in that process. And And we really have the same promise that God is bringing his worldwide kingdom and he's using you and me to, to bring that kingdom uh, to, to, to bear. We, we, we are to be praying for it and working for it. And it's in that messianic kingdom, friends, and not until that messianic kingdom is established when we are promised in Revelation 21.4 that Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. That's not today. That's, that's our future. That's our future hope. That's, the, that's what we are living for by faith, just like Mary. And that's what, that's what allows us to endure in and persevere in our suffering. That, that promise. And we can also do it because in addition to the promise that, that God is, is, is establishing his kingdom, is that in the process, getting there, nothing will be impossible with God. Right? He tells Mary that. Verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. In the context, he's saying, look, I've made your relative Elizabeth, 
made her conceive with her husband, Zechariah. She's old. She's way beyond childbearing years. I could do that. I could make a virgin conceive. Right? And look, if God can do that with, with Elizabeth, if God can do that with Mary, what can he do with the impossible situation you're facing? He could deal with it. I mean, I'll sit next to you and cry and weep and pray with you. I, I don't have the answers and I don't have the power to solve some of those impo- humanly impossible situations that you are right now facing. But I know God does. And I know God will. Right? And, and we can also respond to faith with faith rather than fear, not just because of the promise of the coming kingdom, not just because we know that in getting there, nothing's impossible with God, but also we know because Jesus has gone before us, right? We're not praying to some distant God who is aloof from our experience. We are, uh, we are following Jesus who, and this is what Christmas is all about, entered our world, entered our suffering, entered our fears, right? Our unknowns, even entered death itself for us. He went ahead of us into death itself. And the great news is he came out on the other side in victory. So Jesus' sufferings were not in vain. And Jesus' sufferings had a transcendent redemptive purpose, right? The salvation of God's people. And, and if that's true of, God, of Jesus' suffering, it's, it's true of yours. Your suffering is not without purpose. The suffering God, Jesus Christ, walks with you with impossibility-beating power through whatever you're going through, through whatever human impossibility you're facing, and he's using the suffering, the suffering you're going through, for his redemptive purposes, for his kingdom purposes. Viktor Frankl, some of you know Viktor Frankl, brilliant man, um, survivor of the uh, Holocaust. Uh, spent time in a concentration camp and he was asked in an interview I watched the interview um, he was asked uh, how do you not give in to despair when you are in the middle of such overwhelming suffering speaking of his experience in the concentration camp right? how, how, did, you, how did you avoid despair uh, if, if you uh, you know, facing that kind of suffering. And his answer, interestingly, was an equation, a math equation. He says, D equals S minus M. Now, what? Now you have my attention. D- despair equals suffering minus me- meaning. Despair equals suffering minus meaning. If your suffering is meaningless, of course you ought to be in despair. But Christians, your suffering is not without meaning. Your suffering is not minus meaning. Um, You and I may not know 
any particular instance of suffering, what the specific purpose of it is, what the specific meaning of it is. But we know generally, right, that that the, the suffering that comes to us comes to us through the hand of a good, sovereign God who loves us and has suffered for us. We know that he's, he's promised that he's using all our circumstances, including our suffering, for our good and his glory. And to the extent his glory is magnified, that's always to our good, right? Um, as Paul said, um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're facing suffering today, but in you is Christ. And Christ is the hope of glory. And that's not just the wishful thinking of glory, right? That's the sure certainty that in the future there will be glory. Um, Hang on to that, friends, right? Like Mary, your life is suffering now. It will be glory later. That's Jesus' pattern, and it's the pattern of our lives. And we know that because of Jesus and because of what he accomplished, that future glory, friends, is going to happen. So be encouraged. Hang on. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you came to us, came to planet Earth, uh, through uh, a very regular mom like Mary. And because of her, you share our human nature. Um, Thank you that you are, because of that, our, our, our faithful high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, know our suffering, um, and be sympathetic to us. And not just sympathetic, but also have the, have the, the power to deal with what we're, de- what we're facing. Because we know nothing will be impossible with you. Thank you for that encouragement. Help my brothers and sisters, Lord, in this time of, of joy, but also a bittersweet time, because in the midst of joy as we celebrate your, your first coming, uh, we so look forward to your second coming when the suffering will finally end and you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.